Okay, well, good morning, everybody. Oh, it is so good to have people in the room. It's so good to be here with you. And of course, also a warm welcome to everybody who's tuning in from online. And it's so good to have you join us there as well. But I also, just before we start, I just want to say for, for everybody who, who prayed for us yesterday, for everybody who helped out with the move, just thank you, thank you, thank you. It meant so much to Leanne and I as we, you know, as, as Steve said, we, we, started our, we moved into our first home and that was just such a great start um, to it. So thank you so much for how you guys blessed us yesterday and we are just so, so appreciative and it's so cool to see the body in action. So thank you again. But in case there's anybody here who might not know who I am. My name is David Drover, and I'm an intern here at Mile One Mission. And I've got to say, I am really, really excited about today's passage in Galatians 2, 15 to 21, because here we have a deep, deep passage of Scripture, and it picks right off, or picks up from right where Curtis left us off last week. And what he talked about last week, it is super important for us here today, Okay. Verses 11 to 14 are really important because they provide all the background for what we're going to read in 15 to 21. So just in case you missed it or you, or you just don't remember, here's a quick recap, okay, of what happened in verses 11 to 14. Essentially, Paul is, is calling out Peter for acting hypocritically and, and contrary to the gospel. And he does this out of fear. He, Peter was a, afraid of a group of men called, or a group of men from James. And out of that fear, that's, we, we see the group of men from James verse 12. And out of that fear, he, he then stopped eating with Gentile believers and caused division in the church. And as we, as we continue to, to reference back to this group of, of people, these men from James, just to be clear and also avoid a bit of a, a tongue twister for me, I'm just going to call the men from James the opponents, okay, or Peter's opponents. So whenever you hear me say the opponents, just look back at verse 12 and, and connect that to those people to that group. Okay, so, so given this background and given these circumstances, our text today, it's a, it's a continuation, okay? It's a continuation of Paul's rebuke to Peter. And in this rebuke, Paul reminds Peter of the gospel. In these verses, Paul tells Peter, the Galatians, and as well all of us here, how we can be in a right relationship with God, or in other words, how we can be accepted by God. And acceptance for us as humans, it's, it's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. Even in our relationships with, with each other, we long to be accepted. But often what I find that we, we often do, or at least what I often do, in order to try and be accepted, is we try and do something to earn it. We want to earn that acceptance from somebody. And as many of you will know, I, I grew up playing soccer, and I still do. I love it. It's one of the the favorite things that I do in the summertime and even throughout the winter when I can. And over the years, I've, I've been a part of a lot of different teams. You know, I've, I've grown up and I've been in different teams in different areas of St. John's and in the city. And whenever I would join a new team, naturally, I'd, I'd want to be in good standing with my teammates. You know, I'd, I'd want them to like me. I'd want them to accept me. And I can remember for one particular team that I joined, they had this thing that was called a rookie party where they made all the rookies on the team, they would basically gather together one night and all the rookies would have to do some really, like, play some bizarre games and dress up in weird costumes. And it was really not fun for the rookies, but just fun for the people who were watching and laughing. <laughs> but as you might be expecting, as where I'm going with this, is unfortunately, 
that year I ended up being a rookie. I was a rookie. So I went to this party and I did all of the games. I tried to do my best and, and you know, wear whatever costume or whatever it was they wanted me to do. And if you, if you know me, I don't really love doing super embarrassing things. And so it was, uh, <laughs> it was not my, my finest moment, not my finest night. But I went and I participated and I tried because I wanted to earn my teammates' acceptance. You know, I, wa I wanted to be one of the boys. I wanted to be one of the guys. And in this instance, what, what I was really doing, I was trying to earn their favor. And haven't we all done this at, at some point? Whether that's, you know, maybe it's um, when you started junior high school or high school. Maybe it's when you start university or you, you get that new job and you want to impress your boss. For others, maybe it's when you go and talk to that boy or girl that you have a crush on. Or even if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, when you go and you meet their parents. Whatever it might be, the point is that it's often natural for us to think that we need to do something in order to earn somebody else's favor. And this is often what, what, how our worldly relationships, how they work. But what about with God? How can we have God's favor? How can we be in a right relationship with God? Well, this text in Galatians chapter 2, it screams at us that at the top of its lungs that there is only one answer to that question. There's only one way that we can be made right and accepted by God. And here, this is going to be the main point today. Okay, we are only made right with God by believing in Jesus. We are only made right with God by believing in Jesus. And if you're a, a Christian here today, you know, that, that probably doesn't shock you, probably doesn't surprise you. You've probably heard other sermons preached on a similar theme or a similar topic. And, and in fact, in order to actually be a Christian, you need to believe that. So, so many of us are probably, you know, here online, here in the room, are on board with, with that statement. And we probably don't think that we need to earn God's favor. But Peter also knew that. Peter knew the gospel. He knew that he wasn't required to live by the law anymore. He knew that it wasn't, the gospel wasn't only for Jews, but also for Gentiles. He knew that the most important relationship that he has was his relationship with Christ. And yet, Peter still stopped eating and caused division in the church. And he did that because just like we can, he took his eyes off of Christ. When he was afraid, he didn't act by his understanding of the gospel. As his focus came off of Christ, his view of the gospel and his view of God, it just got smaller and smaller and smaller, while his fear of his opponents and his desire to have their approval, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So as Paul's loving rebuke to Peter, he, he points him back to the gospel. He points him back to Christ. And Calvary, we also need this reminder because if we're being honest, don't we often live like Peter? When we're faced with, with fear or, or busyness or the desire to be accepted by others, don't we develop a perspective where these are all the things that we see and all that we think about? And then when, when this happens, we start living contrary to what we believe. And, and like Peter, we can very easily, too, stop living by the gospel. So this morning, as we are reminded 
by the gospel. As we take a deep dive into this text, my hope and my prayer for all of us today is that no matter what you guys face this week, no matter what you face, that we will take our eyes and put them back on Christ, that we will go this week and live in faith that is fueled by his love for us. And if you're here this morning, okay, and you're longing to know that you're loved, if you are longing to be accepted, if you are longing to be satisfied, then you're in the right place because Jesus is the only one who will ultimately satisfy you. So here, okay, again, our main point this morning is that we are only made right with God by believing in Jesus. We are only made right with God by believing in Jesus. And as we walk through the rest of the text, okay, we're going to break that up into three, three points. Point number one, and these points will really help us further understand that main point. So point number one is everybody has a righteousness problem. Okay, point number one is everybody has a righteousness problem. Point number two is that we are justified by faith and not by works. We are justified by faith and not by works. And point number three, as believers, we are united with Christ and we live with him. As believers, we are united with Christ and we live with him. So, If you have your Bible there, whether it's a physical one or on your phone or whatever it is, would you turn with me now to Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 to 21. All right, so starting in in verse 15. And remember, this is Paul talking to Peter. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So right away as we dive into this text, I just first want to be super, super clear about what that word justify means. Okay, because that's really important, because we're just going to keep going back to it over and over and over again. Okay, so that, that word justify, if you're taking notes, it simply means to be declared or made righteous. I'll say it again. So justified simply means to be declared or made righteous. 
And here in this passage, as Paul uses that term of justification, he's using it in terms of our standing with God. So God will either declare us as righteous or unrighteous. We are either justified or we are not justified. And with that, we all need to understand something. We need to understand that we all have a righteousness problem. And we have to get this right initially because if we don't understand this, if we don't understand that we have a righteousness problem, then we're not going to understand why justification even matters. And trust me, it matters. Okay, so that's point one. Everybody has a righteousness problem. And John Piper, he helps us understand what righteousness is as he says that righteousness has the basic idea of conforming to a standard. Okay, so in, in this case, when we're talking about righteousness as conforming to a standard, we're talking about conforming to God's standard. Okay, because here's, here's the truth. God is real. Okay, he's real. He, he exists and he has created everything that we know and see. He's created all of us. This is what we see in Genesis 1 and 2. And he is our creator and he has standards. He is perfect. He is good. He is holy, which, which literally means that he is separate. God, he, he's, he's in a separate class of his own. He's infinitely powerful, infinitely loving, infinitely just, and infinitely righteous. And since this is who God is, that means that he must, must punish evil. Because that's just who he is. He cannot be good and not punish evil. He cannot allow evil in his presence. His standard is perfection. But this creates a bit of a problem for you and I because none of us can live up to that standard. None of us are perfect and and all of us are under sin and all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. That's Romans chapter 3 verses 9 and 23. So our sin and, and, and our lack of righteousness, it stands as a barrier between us and God. And when we consider who God is and his character and then who we are and ours, then we're faced with the reality that we have a big problem. We have a big righteousness problem. And I know this is a bit uncomfortable. I I started off with all these great things and Now I'm just talking about all the problems, but as we've often heard from this pulpit, in order for the good news to be really, really, really good, the bad news also has to be really bad. Okay, so so stick with me here. Here's how Mike McKinley, he, he summarizes. He says, to put it simply, it's not enough for us just to be not bad. We also need to be good. As a result, sinful people have two basic problems. A sin problem and a righteousness problem. Our sin problem is that we are guilty of doing, thinking, and loving all kinds of bad things. And our righteousness problem is that we lack moral goodness. We haven't lived holy and blameless lives. So if these are the problems, that leads us to probably the most important question that any of us and any of you online might ever wrestle with and ask. How then can we be accepted by God? How can we be declared as righteous before him? 
How can we be made in a right relationship with him? Or to say it in a word, how can we be justified? As McKinley also says, it's not good enough for us just to be declared not guilty. We must also be declared as good. And if you remember again from Curtis's sermon last week, what the opponents here would have believed is that, and what Peter's actions would have affirmed and supported, is that we can be justified by following the law. The opponents of verse 12, there were people who lived and thought that their righteousness was based on their ability to keep the Mosaic law, and that is to live by all the deeds that are demanded in the first five books of the Bible, in Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. And they would have thought that anybody who didn't follow this law would have thought of any of those people as sinners. And this is why Paul, in, in verse 15, he describes the Gentiles as sinners. They didn't have God's law. They didn't live by it. But the problem here for the opponents is that, again, not even them, not even the Jews are actually able to live up to that law perfectly. And this is exactly what Paul and Peter actually believe. This is what Paul reminds him of in, at the beginning of verse 16 when he, and, and 15 when he says, We ourselves are not Jews by birth and not, gen- or sorry, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. And this isn't because the law is, is wrong or evil. It's because we are. Philip Riken gets this. He says, law-keeping cannot justify anyone. Not that there is anything wrong with the law itself, which comes from the righteous character of God. As Paul said to the Romans, the law is holy, and the, commandments, the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem with the law is our lawlessness. The reason we cannot be justified by the law is that we cannot keep it. Even if we could keep God's commandments outwardly, we break them inwardly. No human deeds, however well motivated, however sincerely they're performed, can ever achieve the kind of standing before God that results in the verdict of justification. So everybody's God of righteousness problem, and, and if, if we are to be accepted by God, then we need to be declared as completely righteous, but we can't meet that standard. So, so what does that mean? Maybe you're, you're tuning in online and you're, you're just wondering, does, does that mean that we're all hopeless of being made right with God? Well, that depends. Who are you trusting in? Because if you're trusting in yourself, if you're trusting in your own works, your own righteousness, then yeah, you won't be good enough. You can't earn God's favor. Coming to church, it, it won't justify you. Okay, being generally a good person, it won't justify you. Being a generous person, it won't justify you. But if you trust in Jesus, then you, you not only have hope, but you have a guarantee. If you believe in Jesus, then you are justified. This is verse 16, and this is our second point. Okay, we are justified by faith and not by works of the law. So if you're listening and you have felt hopeless in your own efforts, then good. Because that means, that leads you to a place where you will be truly truly desperate, then you will know that you need a righteous 
Savior. Then you will truly understand your need to put your faith in Jesus. Because Paul here, he makes it crystal, crystal clear. The only way that we are to be made right with God is by having faith in Christ. So the solution to righteous, righteousness problem is not just trying harder. It's not just doing more or pretending like we've got it all together. It's not by cleaning ourselves up. It's not by trying to follow all the 613 commandments of the law. The solution is actually what we not naturally expect. It's to have faith. We need to trust in Jesus and his righteousness and not our own. Because Jesus actually was perfect. He, he followed the law to perfection. He never sinned. He never lied. He never lacked love. He never lost his temper. He was the only perfect righteous man to live. And he didn't deserve to die, and yet he still did. He did so that we could be justified. He died because he loves us. John, John, 1 John 4, 9 to 10, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the only world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that, that fancy word propitiation, it simply means that he took the punishment of death that we deserve for us and bore the wrath of God for our sins. So, so on the cross, Jesus, he receives our sin. Okay, and then, and then here, check out 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So... Jesus on the cross, he, he gives us his righteousness, and he takes our sin. Okay, he, he, he gives us his righteousness and takes our sin, and this is what's often been called the great exchange. And this is the ultimate, final solution to our righteousness problem. We are declared both not guilty and righteous. By having faith, we are justified. And I want to take a moment, too, to be, to be clear about what faith means. Okay, what it means to have faith. Because having faith, it's, it's not like just some magic formula that we, we say a specific set of words and then, like, God definitely, you know, has to then justify us. That's not what we're talking about. As Greg Gilbert writes in his book, What is the Gospel? He, he says, faith is, biblically speaking, reliance. It's a rock-solid Truth-grounded, promise-founded trust in the risen Jesus to save you from your sin. So faith is, biblically speaking, it's reliance. And he goes on then, Greg, as he writes, he, he gives an example of what faith looks like. Okay, he tells the story of when he was teaching his one-year-old son how to swim. And they got to the point where he was trying to get his son to, to jump in the pool. Okay, and, and his son, he was having none of it. He was having none of it. So Greg writes, at this point, at that moment, my one-year-old son wrote me off as a crazy man. The look on his face went, in about two seconds, went from confusion to dawning understanding to amused rejection to outright contempt. But eventually, after his dad promised over and over again, son, I'll catch you. Just, just jump. I'll catch you. His son jumped in. He jumped in trusting that his dad would catch him. And once he did that, he loved it. 
He just wanted to keep going. He's like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. He loved it. He loved being caught by his dad. He loved jumping in the pool. And later on in that chapter, when, when he's talking about who we trust in and what faith is, Gilbert writes this. He says, do you find yourself trusting in your own good works? Faith means admitting that we are woefully insufficient and trusting Christ alone. Do you find yourself trusting what you understand to be your good heart? Faith means acknowledging that your heart is not good at all and trusting Christ alone. To put it another way, he continues, it means jumping off the edge of the swimming pool, saying, Jesus, if you don't catch me, I'm done. I have no other hope. I have no other Savior. Save me, Jesus, or I die. That is faith. We are only made right with God by having faith in Jesus. In Calvary, this means that as believers, that we are accepted by God. We don't need to earn his approval anymore. We already have it. But do we really believe that? Because right now, I, I think a lot of us are probably thinking, yeah, 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 I, I get that. I've heard this before. We're justified by faith alone. But my fear is that none of us really live like that's true. Because let me tell you, this deep theological truth, it shapes everything, everything about how we think and how we live. Do you, do you ever worry about being accepted by those around you? You are accepted by God. Do you ever worry about trying to meet somebody else's standards? Jesus has already met God's standard for you. If we all just consider that, that the God who we read about in Psalm 147, verse 4, the God who created the stars and named them all is the same God who would then look at us as his beloved children, then why are we so easily worried? See, if we, if we really believe in, in justification by faith, if we grab a hold of this truth every single hour of every single day, then church, we will be free of the burden of trying to prove ourselves to God and others. And what that looks like is we're not going to be scouring all of our relationships trying to earn acceptance or trying to find approval all the time. Believing and reminding ourselves of this truth, it's going to free us from the burden of pleasing people and church. Trust me when I say this, I am preaching to myself with this one. I am a people pleaser. I, I long to do it. It's my desire. And where it leads me often is anxiousness and fear. But this is why I need to read my Bible. This is why I need to go to passages like this one. This is why I need to be reminded of the fact 
that my value, that my worth is not found in other people or their approval, but it comes in knowing Jesus. It comes in him. I need to be reminded of the fact that my most important relationship, it's not dependent on me measuring up because I have been justified by faith in Jesus. I know that I am secure. I know that I'm safe. And if only I could remind myself of this all the time, I would be far less anxious. I would be far less afraid. Remember what's happening here. There's a reason that Paul is telling Peter this. It's so that he'll repent of his hypocrisy. It's so that he'll stop living in fear and that he'll turn his focus back on Jesus. See, when we live with our eyes on Christ and have a right perspective of God and we rehearse the gospel to ourselves and our view of God, it'll just get big and then our problems and our fears will get small. And look, I, I get the temptation, okay? I get the temptation to focus on my circumstances and not on Christ. I don't think I've ever been busier than I have been in the last 30 days between buying a home getting a new puppy and losing a lot of sleep, which I don't really do well with. You can ask Leanne. Losing so much sleep and maintaining relationships and work and moving and birthdays and preaching. There have been a lot of opportunities for me to take my focus off of Christ in the past 30 days. And there have been a lot of times that I have. In the process of buying a home and when when I would look at or I think about, oh, what if the offer doesn't get accepted? Or what if, you know, this doesn't go through? Or what if I mess it all up and we just end up, you know, losing the house that we really wanted? When that became the main thing that was going on up here, I was anxious. I was afraid. But then, see, the times that I was at most peace was when I, when I was studying for this sermon and I was realizing that neither me nor my circumstances could ever alter the most important thing in my life. That there's nothing that could change my relationship with Christ. I know that because I, I know that I didn't have to earn God's favor in the first place. Jesus has already done everything. I'm accepted by God because of him. Really, believing that we are justified by faith alone it matters it matters and here's another reason okay if we really believe that we are justified by faith alone if we really believe that our righteousness it comes from christ then we will also be far less prideful and far less self-righteous we all equally need jesus and therefore, we cannot think of ourselves as better than anybody else. And that means that we should, not be uni- we should not be divided, but instead we should be united. That means that all of us are equal. If our righteousness comes from Christ, then there's absolutely no room for self-righteousness in the church. The rich are no better than the poor. The white-collar workers are no better than the blue-collar workers or the jobless. The music team is no better than the children's ministry team. The elders are no better than the new believer. The Newfoundlanders are no better than the mainlanders. 
Or as Paul would say it himself in, later on in Galatians, in chapter 3, verses 25 to 28, he says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, having put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one, all one in Christ Jesus. And if we are not constantly reminding ourselves of this truth, if we are not constantly going back to the gospel and, and, and not constantly putting our eyes back to Christ, then Alistair Begg, he gives us this warning. Without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. And where does that lead? Well, just look at Peter. If we look at Peter's situation in 11 to 14, it, it leads to hypocrisy. It leads to division. It leads us to lead others astray. So we must, church, we have to get this right. We are not made right with God by our own works. It's not faith plus works. We are made right with God. We are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. And as we continue reading in verses 17 and 21, what we're going to see now is, is we're going to see exactly how we are justified by faith. And we're going to see what, what that means for how we live. Okay, so in verse 17, Paul writes, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. And to help us understand what's, what's happening here, don't forget about the situation between Paul, Peter, the Jewish opponents, and the Gentiles. And try re and read verse 17 from the opponent's perspective, okay? They, they come, they see Peter living like a Gentile as he ate with Gentiles eating food that was prohibited by the law. And therefore, from their perspective, Peter's living like a Gentile sinner. They thought he was living in sin. And if Peter was following Jesus as he was living this way, then wouldn't that mean that Jesus was a servant or a minister of sin? Does Jesus promote that kind of sinful behavior? This, this is what they would have thought. But it was this misunderstanding that Paul is addressing here in verse 17. And he quickly dismisses that conclusion. and says, certainly not. Jesus is not a servant of sin. As James writes in James 1.13, God cannot be tempted with evil. What the opponents are misunderstanding here, it's how people are justified by faith. How they live. They don't see how someone can not keep the law and yet still claim to be justified. So since Peter and Paul received the righteousness from Christ, they don't need to keep the law anymore. And because they have received Christ's righteousness before the bar of God's judgment, their status will no longer be a sinner, but as righteous. Then, in verse 18, what Paul does is he, he flips the argument back. Okay, He says that he and Peter actually would be transgressors if they went back to living under the law. For if they, if they rebuilt their lives around the law, they would have proved themselves to be transgressors once again because they, couldn't, they still couldn't live up to the law's standards. Going back to the law it wouldn't solve their righteousness problem. It would just point back to the fact that they have a problem. And then in verses 19 and 20, 
we see Paul explain how our faith justifies us and what that means for how we live. And this is going to be where we have our final point. As believers, we are united with Christ and we live with him. So our faith in Jesus, it makes us right with God because it unites us with him. Okay, so this is, this is really important. So I'm going to say that again. So, so make sure you're paying attention for this. Okay, our faith unites us to Christ. Our faith unites us to Christ. As believers, we have all died to the law and through the law, as it says in these verses, because we have been crucified with Christ. Through the law, through its verdict on us as guilty, and through its pending punishment of death, we died to the law. As John Calvin said, to die to the law is to renounce it and to be freed from its dominion so that we have no confidence in it and it does not hold us captive under the yoke of slavery. And this is true for all of us as believers because of what Jesus did. As he physically died in our place on the cross, through faith we are united to him. Remember that on the cross he receives our sin. We no longer live under the law, but now, instead we get to live to God. It is not only I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And in a world where there is so much confusion about identity and about who we are, Paul tells us in this very passage where, as Christians, where our our identity is found. It's in Christ. When you become a Christian, your life is not yours alone anymore. Okay? And and if you're wondering how this truth then plays out, just, just look at the next line. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says that how this looks in our physical, our everyday lives is that we live by faith. We live by faith. We live every single day relying on Jesus. That, that song, Lord, I need you, every hour I need you, that should be our anthem. Now that we've been justified by faith, now that we are united to Jesus, we live with him. And what that looks like, again, it's a life of faith. It's a life of trust and reliance. Just like Greg Gilbert was teaching his little one-year-old to swim. Once he jumped in, once he experienced the, the safety and the comfort of his dad catching him, he just couldn't wait to do it all over again. He was thrilled. Each time he joyfully ran back, excited, waiting to go again and jump in the pool and be caught by his dad. And every time that he jumped, he jumped living in faith in his dad. This is what living by faith looks like. When we get this, we'll, we'll wake up each day resting in the security and the peace of our Father who we know will always love us, who we know will always be there to catch us, to provide for us, and who we know will never leave us. But how often, even so, do we still and try and live out of our own strength? How often am I driven to live by my circumstances instead of by my life in Christ? Like Peter, I can be driven to live by my feelings 
by my fear, by my anxiety, by my worry. And in order then to try and, and not live by those feelings, you know, what, what do I try and do? I think, oh yeah, okay, I'll just, I'll just work harder. Okay, I, I'll be better prepared for this. Or in other words, I try and do it on my own. I struggle to live by faith. I really do. But Calvary and all you watching online, do you want to know why I struggle to live by faith? Do you want to know why all of you struggle to live by faith? It's because we all just don't understand how vast the love of God is for us. We struggle to live by faith because we don't know how much God loves us. Just look at how verse 20 ends. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus loved us and died for us so that we could be in relationship with him. And this relationship we have with him, it's not at an arm's length. It's an intimate union. And Martin Luther once used this analogy, okay, of a prostitute marrying a king. And Michael Reeves further unpacks it, and he says, Upon the declaration of the wedding vow, the prostitute finds that she has been made a queen. It is not that she has in any way made her behavior or character more queenly. It is that now she has been given a new status. Just so with the believer, because of an external word, she receives a righteous status that is also external to her and unrelated to her character and behavior. Her righteousness is both external and unearned. As so, as the prostitute remains wayward in heart, but a queen by status, so the believer is simultaneously righteous and a sinner and always will remain so. The prostitute did not marry the king for his crown or wealth, and yet when she accepts him, she also receives them. So the believer, when she accepts Christ, receives all that is his, just as he takes all that is hers, her sin. Then she can confidently display her sins in the face of death and hell and say, If I have sinned, yet my Christ, in whom I believe, has not sinned. And all his is mine, and all mine is his. Yet the believer has also received Christ himself and not merely his status. Christ then sets about the transformation of the heart of the believer such that she becomes increasingly righteous herself. Thus by faith she receives the Christ who both justifies and sanctifies. Every single one of us who has put our faith in Christ is just like a prostitute who has married the king. As unrighteous as we are, as broken as our lives are, as messy as our lives may be, as many times as we may betray him, our king, Jesus, loves us and gave himself for us. And notice how personal Paul gets in verse 20. It says, he loved me. He gave himself for me. The same God that loves the world that we read about in 1 John 4 also loves me. And he loves you. Vina, Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. Rick, 
Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. All of you tuning in online, you folks up in Northern Cross Community Church, Jesus loves you and gave himself for you. So for all of us who are struggling to live by faith, let's open up God's word. Okay, let's see and read and hear how much he loves us. and Let's do it over and over and over again. As Reichen says, faith in Christ can be sustained only when we are confident in God's love. Love, in this sense, is the fuel of faith. And as we finish up here today, Paul, he, he summarizes it all in this mic drop verse in verse 21. Summarizes the whole argument. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were f- through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So church, what I hope we will all go and take with us this week as we go and live our lives this week with our, is that we would go and do that with our eyes on Christ. Will we take these gospel truths, preach them to ourselves day by day, hour by hour, and would we be confident in God's love by spending time with him in, in his word and in prayer and with each other, and would that love then fuel us to live by faith? Would we treat every day and every challenge like a kid jumping into a swimming pool, relying on his father to catch him? If we can trust God with our eternal salvation and justification, then can we not also trust him with our money and our marriages and our relationships and our problems? So when we feel like we need acceptance and affirmation from somebody else, remember that you're accepted in Christ. This week when we are afraid, let's rely on Jesus. When we are anxious, let's rely on Jesus. When we are facing our own pride, let's rely on Jesus. For we've been made right with God by believing in him. And now we get to experience the freedom and joy of living with him. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that we would be able to go and take our eyes off of our circumstances this week and put them onto you. Lord, ultimately that you would be big for us this week and everything else would be small. Father, help us to know that we are justified by faith. Help us to believe that and live by it. And Lord, be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.